Listen you well to my word. One by land, two by sky. Look to the heptagon, for it is there. Seven times around go the three of you. And may your reward be just and true. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And uh, we are leaving Christmas heading towards, well, I, you know what? Our intro said it best, a wrong turn. And I apologize, Paul. I didn't get you a present for Christmas. So, uh, Well, I, you know, all I had, I just, I, I found a random sack full of cans and cats. I want to hand them out to the, to the local children. I hope they like it. I, I take it back. This movie that we're reviewing this week is your Christmas present. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know what I did to you then. I don't know what happened. Uh, so, yeah. Um, all I can say is before you guys listen to this episode, and, and maybe you're like me, because I know I'm guilty of listening to a lot of podcasts that review films that I have not seen, um, and I feel like I still get a good sense of what's going on without watching the film. I almost kind of wanted to just tell everybody, this, you know, if, if you if you don't know what you're getting into, just like it is, if you have 90 minutes and some alcohol you owe it to yourself to maybe just experience this once never never more than once but just once and then come back and hear us talk about it so you can have the shared experience of what did i just watch yeah you can suffer along with us yeah i um so no it, it was actually this is pretty fun i think it, we're gonna have a fun conversation it, it is about fun it. so uh so please please start us into the encounter with the unknown all right so Happy Halloween, everyone. I should uh, put that out there first. This is our Strange Highways Halloween special. Figured we'd take a break since all of the Twilight Zone episodes we are around right now are either Christmas or Westerns. Um, we figured we'd do something horror. So um, I think I've been saying the wrong year for this film the past couple weeks, but we are covering Encounter with the Unknown from 1972. Um, there's not too much to go over as far as cast and crew, so I'm just going to kind of blow through it. I have a I have a few interesting facts, um, if you want to call them interesting. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so this episode was uh, or episode. Woo, sure. Gotta get out of that mode. Why not? This film was directed by Harry Thomason, who uh, ended up doing uh, a lot of nothing. The only other thing I was kind of interested in, he did a film called uh, what was it? Uh, Revenge of Bigfoot in 1979. 
And I was kind of interested in checking that out um, just because this film kind of gave me a Boggy Creek vibe. And the fact that he did a Bigfoot film might be interesting. So uh, this film was written by four different people. So that's always a good sign. We have Jack Anderson, Joe Glass, Hillman Taylor and Harry Thomason again. Uh, I don't know how far down I'm going to go in the cast. We have Rod Serling <laughs> as one of two narrators in the film. Yeah. Uh, very strange. Uh, he does a fantastic job. We'll get into that as we go with what he's given. We have Robert Ginevan. Uh, I'm not even going to go through character names. Just was, that was the priest, a lot. though, right? That, that was yeah, he was, he was Father Dwayne. He was the best actor Ger- of this whole thing. Yeah. We have Gary Brockett as Frank Cameron, John Leslie as Randy Powell, Tom Haywood as Dave Terrell, uh, Fran Franklin as Mrs. Davis, which you just heard in the beginning. Uh, John Sisne, who who, uh, played Johnny Davis. (laughs) And then uh, the one person I kind of wanted to mention was Rosie uh, Holitik, I think it's pronounced, who plays Susan, the ghost in the third segment in the film. She was somebody who actually had an interesting little career. She started out doing really low-budget stuff in Texas, and I believe this film was shot in Arkansas Mm -hmm. or somewhere around down there. Uh, But she worked with a filmmaker who did this film called Don't Look in the Basement, which is kind of renowned as far as just no-budget, terrible films from the 70s. And uh, the director, S.F. Brownrigg, he did a bunch of these really, really low, low, low. I mean, no budget films out of Texas, like Scum of the Earth, Keep My Grave Open. Um, she did a lot of that stuff, and she ended up actually becoming a playmate. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, good for her, I, I guess, you know? Yeah, and I, I just figured that was interesting since the passing of uh, Hugh Hefner recently. I figure I bring that up. And uh, there are a few other people. Uh, I, there was actually a few people who were in Don't Look in the Basement with her as well in this. So I guess it was just a traveling group of independent actors and stuff that happened to stumble upon this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the only thing I was going to mention, I looked up a Harry Thompson, the guy that directed and wrote, one, wrote some of this. Mm-hmm. He is like a really well-established producer. And that's the part that surprised me because he produced this. I didn't think he'd be allowed to produce anything else. Um, I was looking through here. He produced uh, a lot of the Fall Guy, um, designing women, but like oh wow, uh, yeah, yeah. E- Evening Shade. Um, the, so it's like he's had, and this guy's not suffering for money. I'm sure he has a lot of you know like money from these shows, but yeah, like a lot he, of residuals and yeah. stuff. And he also there was the the TV series Emerald, which was the the comedy of Emerald, the 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 chef, and then it didn't take off. But he you know he's done a. He's done a lot of stuff past that this film, and it, that that to me that's a good thing for him, you know. But and the thing is, he's still around, you know, doing things, and it's like I almost kind of want to, I almost kind of want to contact him and just ask him, like I want to ask him about this project. It's it's so, like you know, I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to tear it apart in front of him, but I just want to know, like, how did this happen, and how do you feel about like the finished product, you know? Like, yeah, I'm just really curious. Well, it's almost got a student film quality to it. Uh, very much so, yes. Like like it started as a uh, student film, and then maybe he was like, hey, we could pad this out and make an actual feature film and sell it. Yeah, it just it feels it feels so Ed Wood. Like when I was watching this the second time through, 
Um, and, and yeah, I, I think I watched it more times than, than they did that made the movie. Um, I felt, but yeah, there's, there's not much information about the making of this film. No, there's not. I, I searched other blogs and stuff, just tr- trying to find other people talking about it. And most of the reviews kind of say the same things about it, but there's really nothing about the making of, so it would be interesting to sit down and kind of pick his brain about this. Cause yeah. there, there are some interesting ideas that go into this and we'll get into it. Yeah. We'll get into that. I just, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I just, I wonder like, uh, I just wonder. So let's, let's just get into what's going on here. Cause, uh, this is the anthology. <laughs> this is why you picked it. Um, yeah, the, this time of the year, anthologies between Creep Show and Trick or Treat. Recently, uh, I I, pr- I love to watch Tales uh, from the Crypt from the seventies, the anthology film. I around Halloween, I just love anthologies. So I thought, hey, this is perfect, and it's got Serling narrating it. I haven't really heard of this film before. Let's roll the dice and see what we get. Yeah, and, and like, and I think that's it's a worthy thing to do. And the reason I tell everybody stop and watch this because it's a it's on YouTube in its entirety. It's on archive.org. So I don't think anybody's making any money off of this thing. So I don't think anybody made any money off this thing the first time around. So it's available to watch it on YouTube. It's a little, it's rough, like in terms of the visual. Uh, the audio is okay for well, as good as the audio is in the movie, um, and it just. I would say check it out because this is one of the situations where I feel like they all got together. The Twilight Zone was off the air and Night Gallery was like, maybe it was around the same time. And, yeah, but probably. I feel like they're like, well, if we get Sterling involved with this, maybe this will be the jumping point to something else. In the beginning of it kind of hints that there's supposed to be way more stories than we see. So this feels like this may have been like the starter project <laughs> to, to a TV show or something. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, that's why I mean, there's so many like. Like I said, it feels like a student film at points. I could totally see this uh, being shot maybe as like a pilot, like one of the episodes. And they're like, well, I guess that's not going to take off. Let's uh, shoot a few more or something. Um, but yeah, I, I do you want to do you want to get into the wraparound that yeah. they because since you've watched this one more times than I have, uh, maybe you can shed some light on what the hell they were talking about on the <laughs> scrolling introduction to this film. Yeah, so um, I will say, though, because I looked at the trivia on IMDb, which there was like like two bits of trivia, uh, and I'll get more back to IMDb in, in later, so remind me, because there's something that surprised me about this film when, we, when we'll get to the end of it, uh, end of our talk, which will be five oh, minutes from I w- now. Um, <laughs> I was surprised uh, multiple times in this film. Yeah, um, there's something about, like, so the reason I say Ed Wood, other than the fact that this film is like, it's it's not well made it's it's low budget there there's some ideas but it's you know it's weird and we'll get into some of the the weird things that happen just from a production standpoint not the stories but this film has two narrators which is really weird to me there's the opening narrator uh that kind of sets this whole stage about how supposedly this doctor blah 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 there's there's a scroll that goes by on the beginning of the film and the trivia mentions that the guy reading the scroll misses a sentence completely in the scroll when he does so whoever produced the film said screw it we're gonna let him just go there's like there's an entire like bit of the middle of the scroll that he does not read and it doesn't matter because it doesn't change anything and it's this whole thing about how uh, the, the, it's it's this kind of like weird premise that a lot of these paranormal things happen 
uh, associated with like a certain number of cemeteries. So like like there's like X number of ghost stories or paranormal stories that happen in America, but they're isolated to like 27 cemeteries or something. Yeah, and, and the I, I guess it was the idea of this was put forward by a doctor that they made up. It wasn't an actual real doctor, yeah. Doctor Rankin, and they called it the Rankin Cluster Effect. Doctor Doctor Spaceman, we'll just like to, to use Thirty Rock. <laughs> doctor Spachemin, that's who made this up. Uh, but yeah, he he just like this whole thing about like this idea that there was only a certain number of these clusters that had this most like paranormal power, and it's like and it's 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 very Plan Nine where they give this explanation that's very grand but doesn't go anywhere. You know, and that's so I was kind of waiting for when I first started watching this. And I'm just also going to note that there I watched it one time. I, I was drinking heavily that night because I was like, <laughs> I got to get through this. And well, I it was we were also going to go meat tasting. So I'm like, I need to, you know, I have beer here. Why spend money on mead? That's unrelated to everything. But then the second time I watched this, I've watched this like over three nights because I could not sit down and watch it all the way through again in one sitting. Um <laughs> I've drank a lot watching this and I'm drinking a little bit now talking about it. So I think I've spent more money on beer than the production budget of this film. Like as we're talking about it, but, but yeah, it's just, um, I, I sound like I have a problem compared to last week too. But anyway, but, uh, so my encounter with the unknown was, was dealing with this, like he, it, it presents this idea that is kind of, it almost is like the hook for a TV show, kind of like an X-Files hook of like, oh, what's going on with these 27 locations? It doesn't do anything without the rest of the film. Yeah. Well, it really sets you up. Like, as soon as that popped up, my brain started checking out immediately because there is so much text on the screen. <laughs> and yeah. they are presenting you with these, like you said, these grandiose ideas. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like this is this is going to be impossible to sit through. But after that ends, um, <laughs> Rod Serling's narration comes in and the stories that we get, which all take place, I guess, in one of these cemeteries as part of this Rankin cluster effect. I guess. So, uh, yeah, they don't really say if it's in one. I took it as just one graveyard and they look at multiple uh, strange stories that happen. Uh, surrounding these people that have died but the stories that we get are so simple and not even that strange no no and so then like the especially whole, not the first one <laughs> the first one's my, my favorite one of the three though i'll say that because it's the most it's the most ridiculous of the three um except for you know we'll get to something here in a second but the the beginning of the movie it's this whole funeral party and it's going through as you hear the narration and then serling comes in which i'm going to let you guys know i don't have any any serling dialogue from this movie just because he he didn't do badly i just feel like he was a poor like a poor professional left in a dark room trying to find a light switch the, the entire time talking about all three of these stories right and it was a paycheck you know and he was out the door that's how it feels like to me. But he tried bringing like his own surlingness to it, and it, it elevated it like a half step when he's talking. But the so you have this funeral party, and he's giving this this narration that that starts and stops. Like it's a really bizarre thing. And yeah, it goes on for a long time. It does. And I thought maybe the whole funeral thing was going to be part of the wraparound, but it's actually the first story, and. The, the pacing of the story and the pacing of the whole of all three stories is bizarre. Um, this movie's only an hour and a half. Each segment's roughly 30 minutes. And they 
it's not like for lack of plot. We I should say it is lack of plot that they find <laughs> like um, that. It isn't for lack of time, I should say, that they have plenty. They have a half hour. Like, we've watched how many episodes of The Twilight Zone that come in at, like, 24 minutes that have way more story in one of those episodes than 90 minutes of this entire movie. And you know? way less flashbacks. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's yeah, I was going to get to that. So it's a funeral. You see these guys, they're bros or whatever, at this funeral for their friend. And Sterling's like, well, what's going on here? And what's this person? Who's this person? And I almost feel like he's probably reading the script out loud, being like, I don't know what's going on. Is it yeah. important? And they just clipped all that out, you know? Um, and so then you get to the mother that is the, the mother of the son that died in the funeral at the, who's at the funeral that everybody's at. And she lifts her veil, stares straight at the camera and says that dialogue I play at the beginning of the episode. Remember that dialogue. It is going to be burned into your head. All right. So here's the thing. The first time you hear the dialogue and the first time you see her face and she points at the camera and everything, I think it's actually fairly effective. I know, I know you're going to laugh at me. No, 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 no. Like the first time but, I was like, okay, I'm, I know what I'm in for. This is kind of fun. Yeah. And with the stock music in the back that I think was used in Ren and Stimpy, my, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend brought it up as she came down the steps as I was watching it. She's like, I, that makes me think of Ren and Stimpy. I was like, I think it actually is. Um, I think it's fairly effective. It gets overused. And it loses its effectiveness each time you see it, though. Yeah, absolutely. And so I started keeping track of when we heard the dialogue because it comes back. Nice. Um, Yeah. So uh, I kind of want to just blow through this plot. Please, please do. uh, Pretty quick. So we get introduced. There are three college kids, Frank, Randy, and Dave. um, And they're at their friend John Davis, not the Garfield creator's funeral. And um, He hates Mondays, too, which is weird. Continue, please. Yeah, so they're at his funeral, and uh, I believe it was Frank's on his way home on the, on the plane, and he's sitting next to a priest, and he tells him, he's like, hey, I, I something's bugging me, and he tells him a story about the curse and everything, and you get a flashback to the three of them hanging out with Johnny, the dead guy, and um, they want to fix him up with a girl, and so their friend Randy calls a girl and uh, says that they have somebody that wants to go on a date with her. And they send him to a random address. They just make up an address and Johnny goes over there, rings a doorbell and there's an old lady inside. <laughs> and uh, she's, she's kind of scared because somebody's knocking on the door in the middle of the night. So she grabs a gun and goes to the door and sees that it's this nerdy little college kid. And it's like, oh my God, I, you can't be going around at night like this. I pulled my pistol out and I definitely don't want to hurt anybody. And as soon as she says that, the gun fires and shoots him. And it's amazing. Like, I <laughs> laughed so hard when it happened. Um, but so we find out that the curse that the mother left on them, she says, listen, listen well to my word. One by land, two by sky. Look to the heptagon for it is there. Seven times around, go the three of you and may your reward be just and true. So every seven days, something is going to happen to one of them. So he tells the priest that uh, seven days after the funeral, uh, Dave and Frank were walking out of chemistry lab or something in college, and Dave ends up getting hit by a car and killed. Just, but before, we, okay, just real quick, not to drag this on, uh, but yeah. when Dave gets hit by the car, right before that, do you, did you pay attention to the conversation they were having? 
They're walking uh, along. No. And, and, and Dave was like, yeah, so I just hauled off and let her have it. And, and his buddy's like, I don't know if I can hit a girl. He was like, well, you know, it was basically he was just telling them that he got tired of his girlfriend and just socked her. And then all of a sudden- How did Camaro, I not hear that? The, the Camaro comes out of nowhere and just hits him. You know, and it was like, well, it's probably his girlfriend. That's that's my guess. But anyway, please. I heard that. I'm like, really? You're just having a one-off, like like a, a brief aside conversation about beating your girlfriend before you hit by a car? You know, I don't believe in the paranormal. I just believe this guy deserved it. Yeah, well, that's some uh, that's some surling morality there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so then he tells the priest it's been another seven days. At, at this time when they're sitting on the plane. So the plane lands. They both go their separate ways. Uh, he stays on the plane, and we follow the priest to the car. And as he's putting his luggage into his trunk, the plane crashes. And you don't get to see the plane crash. No. You just see a burst of light on his face. <laughs> and then you hear the longest ambulance siren in history. Yeah, like- this movie has a thing. So they hadn't quite figured out how to edit yet. <laughs> And you got sequences of people dialing phones for the entire time or somebody walking somewhere for the entire time or watching uh, ambulance drive down the street, the whole street. Like it, it was just one of those things that you see in these low budget films where they just take too long on things that don't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he goes running back to the crash site and you see all the people scattered around the, the runway. You don't get to see the plane, obviously, because that would cost too much money. Um, so he finally finds Frank and Frank dies. Um, so we cut to seven days later. The priest is now where he was going to. I, I don't know where he exactly was. And he reiterates the entire story we just saw. With another flashback. Quick, With another yeah, flashback. We get, actual visual flashbacks to what we just watched for the last 10 minutes. Um, and he tells him it's been another seven days and he's very concerned, uh, about the third boy. So the, the other priest tells him, why don't you just call the third boy at the college? Make sure he's okay. You can rest easy. So rather than calling the college or anything, he calls the pool hall because apparently they're always there. And this story's ending is amazing. (laughs) So he calls the pool hall, and the guy working there is like, oh, no, Randy's not here right now. He's gone skydiving. And you get the one-by-land, two-by-sky quote again from the mother, and you get some stock footage of people jumping out of planes. Yeah, which I'll, I'll say that I think that the kid was trying to make a joke about the pool hall. I think it was the college. He's like, so is those pool hall. And he's like, well, I'm trying to call Randy. He's like, oh, I was just kidding. Randy's gone skydiving. It's like, it was the worst like joke. It looks like, like the pool hall. It probably was. Background. Who knows? Yeah, you know, it's probably know. the director's house. I don't, but why would he have a payphone? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but I like it. Cause like the skydiving, um, which by the way, it's like, what kind of college student has the money to, to go skydiving? But that's, I guess that's just another question there. I have so many questions about the unknown about this encounter. Um, <laughs> then when they show the, the stock footage of the skydiving, you hear Rod Sterling say, what did that lady say? What did she say? And I'm like, no, Rod, don't ask that question because we know what she said. <laughs> We've heard it four times in 20 minutes. In, in 29 minutes, they, they played it five times. Oh, it's even worse than I thought. Yeah. 
So, so yeah, that was the ending of that. Like, so the kid getting shot in the gut was amazing. Uh, like I, um, like when I was recording last night with our, with our friend James, I, he, which he owns this movie. We, I saw him buy a physical copy of this, which is why when you mentioned it to me, I'm like, yeah, we should watch that. He hadn't watched it yet. So I showed him the sequence of the gut shot. He starts howling. Like he just, it's something about that is universally funny. So I will, I will give my seal of approval for that thirty seconds of this film because that that shot comes out of nowhere. And I well, like, you know how a lot of times these these films, people will say watch it with a group, it's better. Um, I was laughing my ass off <laughs> at that scene when he gets shot. And I like the <laughs> to cop- be honest, all through oh. him getting hit by the car, uh, the kid getting shot. And the skydiving, like each one of those, I had a genuine laugh at. That's true. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah. I, um, my goodness, it was so. I so this segment was my most was my favorite because of the ridiculousness. So I can't stress enough of the gut shot. Like that is so random. And then when they talk to the when she talks to the cops later, he's like, "It was just a tragic accident. We're gonna need you to stop by the station tomorrow morning, but it's okay." Like, what cop in the right mind be like, "Oh." Well, it was an accident. You just shot him. Like it was very like we know the gun went well, off. Did you see by how accident. that kid looked? Nobody cared. Yeah, nobody cared. Yeah. Oh, so, poor John Davis. Yeah. So that was that story. That's a real bad Monday. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's just normal in the background rubbing his hands together. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, that was my favorite segment just because it was so ridiculous. And then the other two have their charms, and I say that um, sarcastically. But then we go all the way back to 1906 with the boy and his dog. And as Rod says, a boy and his dog chase dreams and butterflies across Saturday. Very poetic. You know, like I know he's trying his best to really shine up this piece of shit. So I, I really appreciate that. Hold on. I get. I just realized Jim Davis is the uh, creator of Garfield. Who, John who? Davis is the singer of Corn. So. <laughs> So looks like the joke's on me. We don't know. He probably still hates Mondays. We don't know that. I don't know. See, that tells you how much I care about Jim Davis. I'm sorry, Jim Davis. You 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 were riding off in the sunset with all your Garfield money. Who who am I? So anyway, 1906, a boy's dog. Uh, they're running along, having a grand old time, and then um, I want to say like to hear the sound of thunder, or is it a large cannon firing? I can't determine. The sound of thunder, like because it's a perfectly perfect spring day, and then you hear thunder, and the dog chases a rabbit off, and the boy tries to find the dog, and he almost falls into a hole by rolling into it on purpose. Yeah, I think it's thunder because they talk about the weird weather and the rain. I just the sound effect uh, though sounds like a cannon. It doesn't sound like thunder at all. Yeah, it was um, probably a cookie sheet. <laughs> yeah, so like, the kid almost falls in the hole, the smoking hole, and he goes back to his home. Well, actually, you, you you meet his parents before he gets there, and the mom is just worried, and she's, like, worried about, like, the stew, like, while the boy's out and about, and the father's like, well, just water it down more. I don't know about cooking, but that sounds kind of weird to me. Um, <laughs> and then the kid shows up immediately, and it's like, oh, I lost, and the dog's name's Lady, so it was really weird. He's like, I lost Lady, and it just became this whole thing about the the guy the father made a joke about like well maybe lady found someone else to be with so he's making a dog sex joke in the middle of this film um yep. and so yeah so there comes this thing where the, the dog's missing and uh, eventually if i like i've watched this movie twice i don't remember the order of what happens in the segment so that's bad Here, 
Please. I'll take over. Yeah, so he do. almost falls down the hole and he runs back and he tells his parents that he can't find the dog. And um, he tells his dad about the the hole. And um, so he. Oh, no, no. Hold on. Yep. I'm <laughs> screwing it up, too. Yeah. Well, no, he tells his dad he lost the dog and he tells him about yeah. the hole. Yeah. So then it's at that night. He's laying in bed. And he's got the window open. He looks outside. And he, he hears some noises outside. So he goes to investigate. And that's when he falls down a hill, almost goes into the hole. Okay. And there's crazy weird noises and fog and everything. And uh, he's he becomes kind of disoriented. He's just laying there. I, I It's really weird. And his dad walks up and finds him and I guess saves him from the hole. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well because he, he's like son son and you hear you hear something coming from the hole he's like is that your dog down that hole like i don't know like who knows right um, yeah so the next day you cut to the barber shop and the barber <laughs> apparently knows the entire story is telling the whole town about it and they're trying to figure out what it is maybe it's a cave nobody really knows and you find out that the constable of the town is putting a group together go back and check out the cave opening um and then it, you get you get these weird moments in this episode where there's they call him the town dummy. I hate to use that term that they use, but that's what they <laughs> refer to him as. Yeah. He explains the plot yet again in one of these stories where we get the third explanation of the plot that we have just seen. Um, he explains it to the mentally challenged guy and it might have been the director. We don't know. But anyway, go ahead. Been, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we cut to them all looking down the hole and they're all trying to figure out what it is. And the constable says like, Oh, maybe it's the work of the devil or maybe it's a warning or something. And, um, the, they all leave cause they apparently did not bring any supplies or anything to actually check out the hole. They just go stare at it. Um, so at this point now it's, it's becoming night again. You can hear the sounds all the way in town now, like they've gotten louder and, I kind of like it. I'm just going to put it online now. I like this, uh, this segment. My, this is my favorite. I think you like the concept of it. I yes. Think, yeah. I love the idea of a bottomless uh, hole. Like it's, <laughs> Oh my God. Should be the it, just the film. sounds and the fog and everything. This was just hidden. If, if oh, I, I it's, actually, it's, it's this a one. very, it's a, it's a very um, Lovecraft idea. When we get to the end, it's a very Stephen King kind of like short story idea. I, I, I then, um, so I don't disagree with that. Like there, there is the glimmer of a story idea here that I, yeah. Appreciate. Could you, uh, could you imagine this as like part of Creep Show Two or something with a better budget? Yeah, this would have been a classic. It would have been cool, especially if you could pull off the ending the right way. And we'll get there in a second, but, but yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It just the, I just want to talk about the barber for a second. You you mentioned how he explains the story, but after the initial bit with the family, it cuts to him in there working at the barber shop. He's like, well, you know the the so and so family, you know they that that son was out there fishing and he lost his dog, but then the dad went to go find the kid and there's a hole out there and it's like we don't know what's in the hole, but people think it's it's like it was like the shittiest one act play of a barber explaining to his you know his customer the story it was really it was weird 
you know, and it's so matter of fact, you know. Yeah. And then and then the, the the sheriff comes in. He's like, "We have a posse going on." Everyone's like, oh, "I gotta go see the hole," and they all run out. It was really, it was, <laughs> it was, it was funny. But it's just like, who are their right mind making this movie? Is like, you know what? That's a good way to move the story forward. But it, but th- this is like the the the, how, the umpteenth time that the movie stops itself to explain itself, and it's a weird thing that keeps happening over and over again. It's frustrating. And at, at a certain point, it starts to insult your intelligence. <laughs> it's just it doesn't have faith in you to remember what you just watched five minutes ago. Yeah. And it, that it, that's a terrible sin for a movie to commit while you're watching it. Well, and then also insulting the viewer's intelligence. They introduce like the, the mentally challenged individual wearing the bibbles, Right. And they're like, no, 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 it's okay. You should stay in town, like because they're going to go investigate the hole because nothing else happens in this town because it's 1906. <laughs> I really thought them bringing them in. Here's me giving the story too much credit. I really thought that would come into play somehow. Well, I have my theories on this. Okay, so we'll we'll talk about it when we get to the end here. Which, when we get to the twist. Yeah. Okay. So please continue. Yeah. So they all. Uh, <laughs> they all go to this hole again. They're going to send one person down. Um, as they're getting ready to pick who's going down the hole, the town dummy shows up again, just kind of shows up in the background and then doesn't do anything the rest of the episode. Um, but the kid volunteers to go down. The dad says, no, he's going to do it. I, I couldn't let you go down. And so uh, he asked for a lantern. And as soon as he, somebody throws him a lantern, he drops it down the hole and we get a cut immediately to a picture of the father falling off the wall back at home. Yeah, a picture like picture frame falling off the wall, yeah. Yeah, but it was a picture of the husband, of yeah. the dad in this. Um, so they're lowering Joe down, and uh, at some point they say, he ain't on there, there's nobody on this rope, It's because the rope has gone slack. So you start hearing screams come from the hole. They pull the rope up, and Joe is unconscious. So they're trying to get him to... Uh, trying to get him to come to and the screen goes almost uh, the the color almost goes inverted but it's more of like a red yeah and then he wakes up and they recap the story again i <laughs> uh, gotta throw that in there and it turns out that he's lost his mind he goes crazy and we get a quick follow-up that he spends the rest of his life in an insane asylum and that's it <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad to know so, that like, he was taken care of. That was my big thing. I was like, what yeah. happened to him? I hope he's okay. But I love how both of these stories now have these abrupt endings where it's like, and he's crazy and he's going to spend the rest of his life in an insane asylum. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but like the um, idea of like a Satan pit opening that they don't know what's going on and then someone comes down and, and they're so screwed up for the rest of their life is not a bad idea. That's kind of yeah. That's kind of scary. Well, there's a few things. The picture frame falling off the wall. So my theory on this, and this might be me looking too far into this film. Um, so I believe that his soul is in hell. He's he's gone. And that's why the picture frame fell. So when he came up, there was nothing in his brain. Like there was no soul left in him or anything. So when he came back, he was not the same Joe. And that's what the picture falling off the wall symbolized. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to the very, very end of this film to discuss some of that. But yeah, I, I like it, it. Like I said, that's why I felt very Lovecraft, like the being driven mad from like the sound of this thing coming out of the hole. You don't know what's going on. And yeah. then you go down and you're not given an answer, which 
I don't, I, I'm not giving this film credit because it doesn't give you anything, but just from a story standpoint, that is interesting to me. And there was a, some TV anthology somewhere, I'll have to look this up, where there's a similar story where a family had a well, and every time they'd send the bucket down with something in, like down in the well, they'd pull it back up with like, um, like, the gold coins or whatever. And it, like you start to figure out there's something down there that's switching out what's in this bucket with like money. And the person that owned the property eventually got greedy and was like, screw you guys. I'm going to go down there and find out what's going on. He wore like, you know, a gas mask or something. And when they, they eventually bring him back up out of the well, you see the figure of him because he was wearing like gloves and whatever. It starts bursting at the seams with like riches and it all falls apart and there's just money all over the place, but you don't know what happened to him. Like, I feel like that's a way more interesting concept of what the hell's down there than what we saw. But I kept thinking about that episode and I can't remember where it was from, though. Like, I want to say amazing stories, but that sounds way too horrific for amazing stories. Yeah, that sounds really familiar. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and then my other theory on this is they presented the town dummy and uh, maybe they were inferring that the town dummy at some point had gone down that hole. I don't know. And with the weird Christian attitude, almost PSA uh, turn that this takes in the end, maybe it was like morality, like uh, don't, don't go down the evil path or you'll end up losing your mind in hell. Yeah. And becoming the town dummy or something. I don't know. Like, I, I think it, messages it don't own a dog. I think that was the message. Cause that dog was yeah. like, keep your dogs on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like you could see that there could be like uh, the legend in the small town that oh did you hear about so and so's grandpa he went into a hole and, and gone all crazy and he ended up at the asylum you could see how that could become like an urban legend type of thing and that mm-hmm. again not giving this movie credit because I'm sure they heard a similar story somewhere otherwise right because and I was going to mention this and maybe this is a good time to bring us up real quick um like you grew up in Ohio. I grew up in West Virginia, but you, you had the haunted Ohio books. Yeah. Which were all kind of like folklore about what happened in Ohio. And, uh, in West Virginia, um, we had something called the, the telltale lilac bush, which is all about these stories that happened in the area. Like, you know, like ghost stories. I feel (laughs) like this was trying to do that kind of thing, you know, where it's like, maybe it happened. This is what we heard once from my old, like, you know, from somebody that lived here, and I kept getting this vibe of like these like locally sourced urban legends. Yeah. Well, all three of them aren't too far fetched. I mean, as far as like ghost stories go, I, the last story that we're about to get into here, I mean that, that thing, I think every city, every small town in America has the same ghost story. Yeah. Um, so I, I could totally see that. And they kind of had a, almost, this is a true story vibe going on with this, which works in its favor at times. Yeah, um, yeah, I guess it adds a certain charm to it, I guess. But I, I enjoyed this segment, to be honest. Like you said, there's a lot of great ideas presented. I, I don't think that the <laughs> the follow through was there, like no. the production level or, and the acting couldn't hold up with the ideas that they present. But the whole looked pretty cool. The sounds coming out of it were creepy. It created, like I said, a Lovecraftian vibe to the segment. Um it's yeah i I was a fan of it yeah uh it was it was okay like i mean it just it was slow and it repeated itself over and over again which i guess should be the tagline for this whole film um but it's just you know 
I just feel like had there been any type of like sense of storytelling with with all three of these stories, you probably could have had like a decent little hidden gem, you know? Yeah, uh, maybe an hour and 15 runtime. Maybe even make this an hour long because you don't need the last 10 minutes. You don't need the first 10 minutes of this thing. Oh, you definitely don't need the yeah, last. Time. Yeah, right. And, and you, you just kind of go through. And if, if, if there was a way to be able to effectively edit this and and not completely blare, like destroy people's ears because of the music cues, because there's music through this whole film. I think you could make a somewhat interesting, like, you know, 45 minute, like take on all three of these stories. Mm hmm. But all anyway. right, so you want to jump into the third one here? Sure. Uh, the third one, which, by the way, actually has like some pretty decent Sterling narration going into it. Uh, he it's it, he calls me first to the girl on the bridge as being like everybody has one of these. Everyone knows what this is. It, she's been known as various things across the country. Um, and it starts off with uh, it just a very, very upbeat, you know, sound of like, you know, it's it's the 20s, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and, it's uh, Arkansas, 1929. Oh, is that what it's supposed to be? Is that what he says? I can't remember. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then this car immediately drives off like it's going towards the bridge, but it veers off into the, the river below and, it, and, and the car sinks. And then it cuts to um, a gentleman and his wife like driving out for the night. And they happen a to senator, see, a senator. Yeah. Um, <laughs> very important. Uh, and they see this girl on the bridge. And they ask her what's going on. And she's like, well, I need to get home. I need to get to my father. And so they bring her into the car. Well, before they even get into the car, they're, they're again, got to have a flashback. And this is the one time where a flashback might be appropriate in this whole thing, you know? And you start to learn about, like, her life where she had an overbearing father because she was in love with a guy named – well, he has the best name ever. It's Paul, by the way. Um, <laughs> she's in love with this guy named Paul who I guess doesn't make money. And, and uh, the father wants her to marry somebody else who is affluent and has, you know, uh, riches or whatever. And he's like telling her, like, I'd rather see you dead than you marry this guy, Paul. And, and, the, and the mother's trying to like talk some sense into him saying, you know, hey, you know, basically she should marry for love, not because of influence or money. And it kind of keeps cutting back and forth between her story. And then when she gets in the car, she tells the the, the senator, I, I, maybe she doesn't say it, but it's implied that she tells him the address. And so they're taking her to the address of her home. And it bounces back and forth between her just staring at the camera and her love story with this guy as they go and have a picnic. Um, or not a picnic. I don't know. They have a like they have a hugging session in the water. Yeah, they they lay yeah. on some blankets at the riverside yeah. and they go swimming and then they frolic and then they lay down some more. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you find out that she has a party to go to and she has to go with the boy Carver that her father wants to set her up with. Yeah. And she's going to meet Paul in the gazebo during the party. So <laughs> she, she goes to the party and asks him to go get some punch. And this is like immediately. And then she runs over to the gazebo. Yeah. And, uh, Paul suggests that they need to leave town and run away so that they can be happy and get away from her father. And so he asked her to marry her today and they go running out of the party. And I love the boy Carver's reaction as they're running through. It's just like, Oh damn. damn you know. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like he's happy for him. It kind of, it was nice. Um, so <laughs> that's the end of the flashback. So you get the Senator gets out. Is it the end of the flashbacks? Out. Is it really? <laughs> no, no. Okay. All right. Sorry. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> this is just the beginning of the flashbacks. Yeah. Um, so the senator gets out of the car, knocks on the door of the address that the girl gives him, and an old man who is the girl's dad answers the door, and he tells him that it's been a mistake. So the senator goes back to the car and sees that the girl's vanished. 
So he tells his wife, he's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Goes back, knocks on the door. The old man explains the entire story again, (laughs) that his daughter died in a car accident and that this happens all the time and she never quite makes it home when people pick her up. Yeah, which, again, I'll give this story just a little bit of credit that because you you kind of start putting on like you're thinking kind of like well the, what's the ramifications of this right and the, the idea that this guy is constantly tortured by strangers coming up to him saying hey i have your daughter in the car he's like no you don't you know like that yeah. is that is dark that is really yeah. dark yeah it's sad and it, yeah yeah it it's it's a fairly well tell, told story up until this point um we're about to take a sharp turn here um but this is probably the most coherent. The it flashbacks is. actually work as far as the storytelling device. <laughs> They're not just explaining what we just saw. Um, but as soon as you get the explanation from the father, you get you cut to Paul and Susan walking through the woods, and there is five minutes of this horrendous song playing, and it's just them <laughs> walking through the woods holding hands. Yeah. And I... I was sitting on the couch last night during the scene, just going, ah, like I, um, I felt like it went on so long. It did. It went yeah, on for the whole song. I was kind of hoping what would have saved this entire film for me was at the very end, they fell into the hole from the second one. Oh, I was hoping that the, the guy with the Senator would knock on the door and then an old lady would answer and shoot him. I was really <laughs> hoping that's what would happen. Well, um, yeah, he would shoot him and then, you would cut back to Paul and Susan in the woods and they fall in the hole yes. and then the, all the stories link together and the film is incredible. Yes. That would, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, I just want to mention real quick. We back up uh, when she first goes to the, the garden party or whatever it's going on, like where all the flappers are, there is another set of characters. They're like, Oh, Hey, that's Suzanne. Oh, well she's here with Carver. Oh, but she loves Paul, you know? Oh, does she? It's like, how does everybody know everybody's story in this movie? Like every, every character knows everything about everybody. And it's like, they tell you again. And then even before backing that up, when they're all like, when the, both of them are frolicking on the, you know, the, the whatever Riverside, um, there's a flashback to the father saying he doesn't want to see her marrying him. And it keeps (laughs) happening. It keeps happening, you know. Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll get to this ending here. Um, the song finishes playing. They're walking through the woods, and Paul vanish- vanishes, and she winds up on the bridge again. Yeah. So uh, you kind of see that she's stuck in this perpetual loop, and it's sad. But I didn't need the five-minute song and montage of them in soft focus running through the woods, picking up flowers. It's the most seventies <sighs> thing ever. It really yeah. is. It, it's it's kind of it's kind of amazing that it just keeps going. You know, uh, it, that's that's the thing. Like maybe a minute, I would have been okay with it, but it's like five minutes of this hour and a half movie. <sighs> yeah, but, but so do, do, you, do you appreciate that more, uh, considering what's about to happen next, or do you hate? Oh. <laughs> no, no, this. <laughs> should win an academy award for that segment uh compared to what happens for the next 15 minutes so i was looking at the runtime the entire time i was watching this film that's not a good sign yeah i kept pausing it and looking i'm like oh man there's they seem to be wrapping the story up there's still 15 minutes left so the second narrator comes back in and we have 15 minutes of the narrator asking you questions and recapping the entire film again 
Yes. Like and- it, literally we see mostly it recaps the first story. Uh, we pretty much see the entire first segment again. Yes. So she, so they have her cut to the, the, the mother again. So that's the sixth time that she says her lines again. Um, and then there's this whole thing. I was trying to take notes again about like the ending because the ending is like so. It's, oh, it's, they throw so much at you. It, I, it's, 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 like, it's like the film strip from hell. Like you're in middle school and you don't know what to do. So you're just trying to take notes. And there's a bit where he says genuine witches are hard to identify, of, you know, like what? And he goes through this whole thing about like, you know, and, and about Egypt and then the powers always, they, they all derive from belief. I'm like, he's saying it was such a matter of fact, like statement. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you're sincere. Is this reality? I don't know what's going on. And he's just going on about witchcraft and Egyptian yeah, he says rituals. Witchcraft is booming and it's, it's hard to know who's a witch and who practices yeah. magic. Cause they're not required to, uh, uh, oh, what does he say? Register with anyone. <laughs> and then he's like, the origins of magic can be traced back to Egypt and the book of the dead and magic works by belief first or by suggestion. So be careful about what you believe in. Cause you might be on the path to hell or something, uh, some bullshit. And, it is exhausting to listen to. I, I don't even know. <laughs> it sounds like I, it sounds like those times where you get that one person when you're working retail, you're like, oh, no, I asked you the wrong question. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they just go on and you're like, well, that was something. Would you like to buy this DVD copy of Encounter of the Unknown? You know, like, that's it. You know, it keeps going on for 10 minutes and it goes through all three stories. Um, but it's just it. I stopped taking notes because after a while, I'm like, I, I'm sure there's a script presented by the director and the writer of the film, but and and the guy is saying it with a, like with authority, but it's just like it doesn't make any sense. Like I gave up. Like I just like I'm done. The second time listening, I just checked out because the first time I couldn't believe that I'm watching a recap of this very <laughs> short shitty film, and it's trying to bring like <clears throat> discussion questions that you could talk with the rest of the class after watching the film. That's what it felt like. It felt like this is the supplemental material. Like, you know, there'll be a test about this later, you know, like how many times was that guy shot? You know, like how many, like how many sides are in a, like whatever that shape is like, you know, yeah, the heptagon. heptagon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I wrote in my notes, this film is like fine. If final destination was a Catholic school PSA. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's fair. Um, or like an anti-bullying PSA final destination like this it's got that like that after school special feel to it and especially with that all the questions and rambling at the end with that echoey voiceover yeah just so bizarre yeah so I mean I guess ultimately I just gotta say that like as much of a slog this movie really is by yourself when you watch it more than once I really, really think that this is something that if you had like a room full of people and like half of them have never seen it before, this could be a really fun time just by the result of what it is. But watching it on your own, I know you and I watched it by ourselves independently to talk about it. I don't know if I could just sit down and watch something this by myself without the knowledge that I could not share it with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've put myself through a lot of terrible films, uh, just digging through uh, exploitation films from this era. And I think my pain tolerance for this kind of thing is a little bit higher. So I actually, I wasn't hating this thing 
up until that last 15 minutes to be <laughs> honest and as soon as that song started playing i was i was really starting to check out um but yeah this this film it's got moments that i think are hysterical i think the middle segment is worth watching the film for if anything else um like you said if you're gonna watch it with a group of friends i think it'll play a little bit better but the thing is insulting to the viewer <laughs> and I don't know, you know, yeah. I, my tolerance is pretty high for these things. And like, I was digging parts of this and I, I was having fun with it, but that's something that I just really cannot get on board with when it just, it, there was something I watched recently that was like, Hey, remember that? And it was, they were joking about something that happened like five minutes ago. I don't know if it was like family guy or something. Um, well, but it's just yeah. it's so frustrating because it doesn't have the faith in you as the viewer to remember what you just watched. And it's so sincere when it does it. You know, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like spelling it out for you. And it's like just in case you missed this complicated plot of this guy getting shot accidentally. <laughs> this should be called encounter with the very well known. That's what they should call this. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's uh, when you, you text me after you watch it the first time <laughs> and uh, yeah. really, really scared me because <laughs> you're like, here, I'll uh, find my text. I'll read it. I'll read it to, out loud for the for everybody here. here. <laughs> so I also kind of text this when I was somewhat full of uh, a beer and mead. When I texted you, I wrote, um, what was it? I wrote to you. Uh, one by land, there it is. No, yeah, yeah. It's a one by land, two by sky. If I have to watch Encounter with the Unknown again, I may die. Is what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched it again, and maybe I died. I don't know. Yeah, I I cannot believe you watched it again. I I forced myself to take notes and watch it once, and. Uh, well, appreciate yeah. that I warned you. Like, like that's, you know, because like sometimes with the Twilight Zone, I like watching it a couple times, uh, just because I want to experience it the first time, and then the second time, kind of dig into it, and I kind of try to give everything that benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but I just knew halfway through this thing, I'm like, I have to watch this goddamn thing again, don't I? You know. <laughs> but then you texted me a heptagon, so I appreciate it, and you wrote, "Look, look to it, Paul," and I did, and then I went skydiving. So that's what happened. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I was just kind of upset that you text me because I was so nervous to sit down and watch this. I sat down finally. I was like, oh, I guess I better go do this now. Well, I <laughs> thought you I, at least appreciate that that I threw myself on the grenade first to warn you. You know, like I I, cause I just I was dying to say something about it. And I, I knew that 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 particular phrase, which, by the way, I, here's here's the bombshell of all bombshells. When you get to the end of the film, they had her say that thing seven times. What? Blow, that wasn't blows e your mind. That, that was seven even times. The, oh my god, that's ridiculous. Yeah, look upon I, it. Look upon it, Kevin. Look upon it. it. She said it seven times. We should do a thing where we watch this every seven years until both of us are dead. <laughs> I think that would do this film justice. I, like like six years and three or sixty four days later, I'm just like cutting my throat. I'm like, no, I can't do it. And you're like, but Paul, come over, watch Counter with the Unknown. I'm like, no, it's been seven years. Um, Look to the heptagon, Paul. Yeah, no, uh, I feel like yeah. this is something that like I I would love 
to like convince like like a business to have like a night where this is shown because it's it's a very PG movie and you could you could not pay attention to the stretches of it and understand exactly what's going on and then react well, yeah, to things. Yeah, they'll explain it to you every well, five minutes. There you minutes. go. So, so. Th- there's th- like the, the only the only compliment I'm giving this thing is that well, the, other than the willpower to make it and somehow convince Serling to take a paycheck to to try to class it up because he does give his Serling delivery. Like he commits to that. And he yeah, tries. His rambling is nonsensical as it sounds. He tries. And I, I don't blame him. I blame the movie, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. And I just think that this is something that it would be so good to inflict upon people that don't know what's about to happen. But they got to be the right mindset. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's it's honestly not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's definitely by far not the best thing I've ever seen, but <laughs> I've put myself through worse. And like I said, there's some good ideas presented in there. Um, I, I think the mother, the first time she gives the curse or prophecy or whatever that is, um, I, I think it's genuinely effective and creepy. And I, the stock music that they pick works and there's enough fog in it. And it just... If it wasn't October watching this, I don't know if I would have been as forgiving with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, and also the quality of the visual, I think, helps the film. Like because yeah, yeah, if this was cleaned up, it would be really boring to look at. Yeah. Um, but uh, one thing I was going to say, because you mentioned it being fairly PG and this would work in a public setting. Um, I, I After I watched it, I just really needed to see what other people thought of this film. Just because I had never heard of this thing before. And I just kind of glanced through some IMDb uh, reviews, some comments on some blogs and stuff. You and I are thinking the exact same way. So please continue. um, The only reason people hold this film up, because the film has a 5 out of 10 on IMDb, which I was kind of baffled. Yeah, it's 5 too many. That's fairly high for a horror film on IMDb. Uh, I mean, it's only an 8, I think. The new one. So, I mean, if something like that's <laughs> at an eight, this is at a five, like that's not too far off. Um, the only reason people hold this up is this is something that people saw as a child on TV or maybe rented on VHS or something. And it stuck with them because of the repetitive nature of the mother saying. And people were really freaked out by that. And it was something that stuck with them. And rediscovering the film just brought back childhood memories. So you have this nostalgic uh, mm-hmm. um, affectation towards this film. So I think I think that's the only reason this film is still talked about at all is because it was part of people's childhood. That and I think because it's the oddball thing where you got Serling to do voiceover. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. If if they didn't have him, this probably would have been lost forever. But I'm sure this got picked up for like TV deals and stuff just because Serling was. Uh, um, part of it. I but, actually think this. No, was, I just there was tons of reviews where people are like, "I remember this from when I was a kid. I could never remember what movie it was, but I always remembered the mother's thing." Yeah. I saw maybe a dozen uh, comments about this film talking about. I remember the mother saying uh, from when I was a child, and I could not remember what the film was. Thank you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. It, so you're right. I think that that gives us some legs. I do believe this was a made-for-TV production. But I also think that was made because at the time when this was made in the mid like early seventies, made for TV doesn't mean that it was made for like TV everywhere. I think this was kind of like shot in Arkansas. I think I think this played in the South. I like just just because, and I think that's kind of what like people remember. 
I did want to point out one one IMDb review that just blew my mind, and I'll explain to you in a second after I read it. It's from Scary Larry, and he wrote, um, what was it? Uh, While rather cheap-looking and poorly acted, the three stories presented in Encounter with the Unknown can be somewhat frightening considering that they are purportedly true. The fourth story seems incredible, and the third may be recognized as the well-known quote-unquote urban legend, but the intervening story uh, is somehow very believable and easily the most disturbing of the three. This movie is well worth seeing, if only for the second story, concerning the strange hole which appears in the ground after a heavy rainfall. That's a well-stated review. He gave it 10 stars. Whoa. And I went on, it was like, there's a click there. It says, uh, see my other reviews, because it's IMDb. This was written um, in January 26th, 2000. I clicked on it. Scary Larry did not review any other movies on imdb.com. Wow. I just, so That's... It, it just blows my mind that this person went out of their way. I'm going to guess this is the director and producer of the film that wrote a 10-star review of this film or someone that was associated with it. But it made me laugh when I clicked on see my reviews and he took the time to write a fairly well, like, you know, thought out review of the film for like in a paragraph and gave it 10 stars and he never wrote anything else on IMDb. So scary Larry, you wrote off into the sunset, um, letting everybody know that you really like this movie. Yeah. Well, I found that review and the one above it says night gallery meets legend of boggy Creek. I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah. And, uh, I would point people if, if you enjoy this film at all, um, I, I would highly recommend checking out the films of Charles B. Pierce. Uh, he directed legend of boggy Creek and the town that dreaded sundown and the evictors. Um, very similar vibe. A much better filmmaker. I would highly recommend checking those out because um, this film gave me that vibe, but didn't hit the same high marks <laughs> as those films do. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. No, be and, nice. And, and I would just recommend <laughs> searching out if you guys have not read the Haunted Ohio series. And also, yeah, those again, are fantastic. Just a shout out to the the Telltale Lilac Bush for West Virginia. You know, much love. Um, it's it's just those small encapsulated stories of what happened in the area, and it's very like, you know, it it feels creepier because you may have heard of the places, you know. So I feel like these are like these three stories are something you could tell around a campfire, and like you know, be like, but did it happen? Other than the skydiving thing, that sounds stupid. But you know, like yeah. that would be. Yeah, so, if, I, if I ended a, a campfire uh, tale with, and the third one on the twenty first day, went skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> drop the drop the the flashlight. Walk away. You've made your point. You know, but but yeah, I don't know. Like I I don't regret watching Encounter with the Unknown. I regret the second time watching it to take notes. But whatever, that's fine. Um, this is just you know seriously though, I think you and I have like this kindred spirit over, like bad films made earnestly, you know, and I feel like there is a joy to be had in that because I know you, you set me down to watch one of your favorite, like bad films that was made. Like, I mean, it wasn't made earnestly, but like, um, the hard ticket to Hawaii it was made. It was made made so the filmmaker could go on vacation with a bunch of playmates. Yeah. But that's why there, there is a, there is a, a genuineness to being how, how terrible it is. Like they, they make no, no bones about what that film is. And then I subjugated you to dangerous men by Josh rad, right? Like these are, these are the things that we, we enjoy because they, they, they should not exist, but someone willed them into existence. And I feel like this is one of those films. 
Yeah, no, I I have a weird thing where I legitimately enjoy bad films. Like a, a lot of people watch films coming from a point of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not sarcasm. Irony. Um, like, irony. Yeah. yeah, like an ironic. Uh, uh, just uh, they they go on it with that. Like this is going to be funny. I watch these movies and I look for things that are actually good in the film. You know, like I look for legitimate merits within the film. And a lot of times I do enjoy bad films. <laughs> so not just from an ironic standpoint. Well, I just, I always kind of put myself in the position of that poor person holding a boom mic the day that they're filming something of this, like they're there just like questioning their life decisions as they're holding a mic, trying to catch the audio, which in the case of the encounter of the unknown, there was no boom person. There was just a mic tossed down a hallway. Good luck with that. But yeah, probably you, into a, a cassette recorder <laughs> right? or something. But you have to think like, you know, you're on set for this and, or like the actors, they're just like, you know, we're making a movie. People, we're gonna like this like i there is this genuine spirit of like we're gonna do this that i get from this film as bad as it is i get like like the barber that was telling the story over again he was acting his ass off as best he oh, could he was given a hundred percent right for and sure I, and i appreciate that way more than something released now that is borderline garbage and they know what they're making you know and i, I so so i will give encounter of the unknown i will give it credit that they tried and that to me speaks more than just knowing that you can make a film and release it to amazon prime and someone's going to find it by accident and be like why did i waste that hour and a half of my life <laughs> hey the way i look at it uh i've never made a film so who am i to tell somebody <laughs> that their film sucks right it, it, that's, that's that's fair i've made two short films and people can judge me harshly you know so that's yeah i, I get a bunch of shorts under my yeah. belt but uh none that i'm willing to release to the public so yeah so maybe, maybe one day you guys bug me enough maybe i'll uh put one of them up oh i would love to see it that'd be amazing um but yeah encounter with the unknown uh, it's a fun it's a fun toss off Halloween movie guys pull it up on YouTube get some friends just get ready to laugh at like how just I don't know how Abrupt. strange everything happens yeah. <laughs> just the gut shot from the older lady I cannot stress to anybody if you've if you're not seen the scene how abrupt and amazing it is like i snapchatted it out to a couple of my friends without dialogue like they didn't hear the sound they just saw her holding the gun and they just to see the gunshot and i got some weird responses back and i'm like don't answer the door is all i wrote back to them so but the sound is the best like oh, is. i wouldn't want to hurt anybody <laughs> <laughs> but i just wanted to send a snap without any context of an old lady just firing a gun at a guy he just falls over to the side i thought that was amazing so it's worth that it's worth it's there. Honestly, worth it's worth the second segment for me, like yeah. as a legitimate uh, segment. Like, there's funny stuff in the first and the third one, um, mostly the first. But I, I, I like the second one. I'm gonna stand by that. There you go. <laughs> so. Uh, there's no twist rating. I can't. I I can't possibly fathom any of this. The twist is, is that ten. you know that this movie exists. I don't know. I give it a three. It's a ten out of five. It's a ten out of five. I love it. Scary Larry. I'm going with you, man. <laughs> that, that makes me think of Scary Terry now from Rick and Morty. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's it. That's Encounter of the Unknown. I, I, I yep. have nothing else to say about this film. So yeah, I was really scared. I was walking the dog before uh, we started recording and I was telling my girlfriend, I'm like, I have nothing 
<laughs> to say about this film. Like, I have nothing of substance to say about this film other than, like, I like this. This worked. This was all terrible. Like, I... I <laughs> I, I honestly, there's nothing really to dig deeper into in the film other than it being a little bit too uh, religious in its morality for my tastes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah so. I don't know. Final Destination, uh, Catholic School PSA. There you go. That's what this film is. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so, so, um, so, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, well, if you want to talk about Encounter with the Unknown with us, you can. Uh, talk on facebook uh we're strange highways podcast you can email us at strange highways podcast at gmail.com you can also leave a voice memo on your phone and email it into that email address as well um, we're on itunes stitcher uh, podbean satchel anywhere you can need to find podcasts we are on there and it would definitely help us out if you would rate and review us on there and I think that is it. Oh, yeah. Check out the Instagram page, uh, Strange Highways Podcast. Yeah, I'm just going to give a shout out here to uh, I was trying to find information about this movie. I couldn't get any good screen grabs because the quality of the YouTube rip was just so fuzzy. Um, I ended up stumbling across something called the Bloody Pit of Horror blog. Um, yeah. And I found those images. I took a lot of them. But I tried emailing the gentleman who was in charge of this. He has a Hotmail email listed, and it bounced back. So yeah, you know, I apologize, dude, if, if you're out there and you happen to find this because of our encounter with the Unknown Talk. I tried contacting you, um, but I'm going to use those images during the week. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to give him credit because the guy writes a lot about different films. So check out yeah. the blog. If he, if he took the time to write about this, there's probably a lot of weird stuff that he writes about. So check out the Bloody Pit of Horror blog. Um, there might be something there to your liking. Yeah. Um, and I want to give a shout out to how amazing the poster for this film is. Yes. Um, that that I take everything back that I said about the film. Uh, best part of it is the poster. That bright pink uh, <laughs> it, it poster with the mother uh, all shadowy in the cloak and the funeral sequence it's it's really cool if you can just do me a favor like the next time if you and i are out drinking if we ever do a shot if you could just recite her speech before we take a shot i would greatly appreciate that for all people involved i would love if you just remember what she says that would be so much fun I'm going to save it to my phone so I can uh, read it every time we're out now. That's perfect. I love it. Uh, so uh, next episode of the Twilight Zone we're going to be watching is called Dust, I believe. Um, uh, there was no Serling intro that I can find for me to read badly right now. Uh, it will be boldly marching into 1961. We're done with 1960. Uh, and it's a Western. I don't know anything about it. I just know that um, we will be uh, taking a week off and then we'll be back talking about dust. Yep. Um, I did also, I want to bring up real quick, uh, Paul and I were at a Halloween dog event earlier uh, last weekend. And uh, as soon as we had parted our ways, we, we were walking to the car. The DJ who was playing music in the park started playing the Twilight Zone theme. I heard that too. Yeah, I thought and that was I, awesome. I nodded in approval towards your direction. I couldn't find you, but I nodded into the air. And I like to believe that somewhere you nodded back at me as soon as I, it started playing. Probably so, because I heard that. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's that thing. So, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, yeah, the, the DJ, but, as, loud as, uh, as loud as the music was in terms of getting into your head, he actually started veering towards some really fun Halloween stuff. So he played that and some other really great things. It was, it was fun. 
Yeah, but the Spooky Pooch Parade here in uh, Cleveland, it's a fantastic event. Yeah, but I just wanted to bring that up. I, I appreciate that. So, all right. So uh, that was our encounter with the unknown. And I think we're done with that. Uh, yeah, that's that's longer than I ever wanted to spend with the uh, with the unknown. <laughs> right. So. So, yeah. Uh, so uh, have happy Halloween, everybody. Have a good time. Be safe. Um, don't fall in any holes. That's about all I got. I'm, I'm just going to dig a hole in the front yard and hope kids fall into it. Listen you well to my word. One by land, two by sky. Look to the heptagon, for it is there. Seven times around go the three of you. And may your reward be just and true. You son of a bitch.